1: No!
2: Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Numbers 12.3 Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Today we speak about the bondage is broken. Not just for the children of Israel, but for you as well. The bondage is broken by the precious blood of the innocent who died for the guilty. You are set free by the blood of Jesus. Now Moses did not begin his life by being a humble man. The truth is, the truth is that we're all born full of ourselves, grasping, proud, arrogant, ambitious. Meekness is not found in any person at the beginning of their life. A person may be lazy. Person may be soft, they may be indifferent, they may be pliable, but that's not humility. True humility must first be planted in a person's heart, it must be watered, it must be pruned, it must be purified. And it must be beaten upon by every wind of God and cut to pieces by every knife of God. And all the time, in the process of being ingrafted and seated deep in the gentleness and in the humility of the Spirit of God, of Jesus Christ. It would be far nearer the truth to say that Moses, to begin with, was an impulsive hothead. He thought he was right. He considered himself the deliverer. Moses, with a word and a blow, would lay you in your grave if you disagreed with him but 40 years in the wilderness by himself in his occupation of keeping his father-in-law's sheep behind the mountain of god 40 years of of taking care of these these sheep cleaning their noses cleaning them from Flies and worms. Carrying them around his neck. Disciplining them. Protecting them. All of this time has reduced and subdued Moses' hot temper. All of Egypt's power and glory and cruelty, pollution... They're before Moses as he wanders and as he thinks over his past life. Nothing will humble a man or a woman like being cut off and living in solitude. Nothing will humble a person like feeling that their life no longer has any purpose or any meaning. Nothing will humble a person like seeing and feeling your own wickedness. Nothing will humble a person like having solitude to think about all of the the wickedness of your heart. Nothing will humble a person like grieving over what you have done in the past, how you have been with people that you loved, the grievous mistakes you've made, the brokenness that you have brought to others. And there's no way to go back and mend it. What is done is done. Nothing will humble a person more quickly than family and friends misunderstanding your words or your actions and choosing then to cut you off, to treat you as a non-person their anger, and their judgments, their gossiping and their evil speaking. They cut you to the heart until you think you're going to die. This is most especially true of a wife who casts you down as worthless, and takes all that you have and walks out. It takes the severe discipline of life, 40 years for Moses in the wilderness, 40 years of no recognition of his great intellectual capacity, 40 years of of no fawning over. And probably in the midst of those 40 years, some very troubling times with Zipporah, his wife, as we learned earlier when she was cursed Moses over the issue of obedience to God for the cutting off of the foreskin of the sons. It must have ripped Moses' heart so much because he sent his wife and his children back to their home and he went on ahead alone on his mission with no comfort of a wife or family except his brother Aaron. I look at the deep of my heart the utter failure the friends who called themselves family who misunderstood a word spoken or an action taken and cut you off and said you're nobody to me I'm not going to speak to you again It's these body blows, it's, it's this cutting of the heart that comes, yes, from, from people's own ambitions and their own wicked hearts. It comes from the devil who is attacking and trying to destroy you, but all of that comes by the hand of God as he allows the shimmy eyes in your life to curse you, to be angry with you. All of this finally brought Moses to such a point of humility that he was not even confident any longer in his ability to speak clearly even though we're told in Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts that Moses was a man of strong and powerful action and speech. But in Moses' mind, he had become totally incapable of bringing action to the table. I have been deeply grieved in my heart first by how arrogant I was when I was younger, how confident I was of success, how I planned and schemed to achieve my goals, stepping on anyone necessary to be stepped on, Today, my heart is deeply grieved by that wicked behavior. As I consider then my own failings and my own inabilities, I had the Holy Spirit plant in my heart a new kind of compassion and a new kind of humility. Knowing that all that I have has come from the hand of God. Knowing all that I am, if I am anything, has come by grace in Jesus, not by any prowess on my part. So I love Moses for being a man of such abject humility of letting go of his temper. We find another example of this in Exodus, the 12th chapter. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them in verse 21, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb and take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe. He will pass over the doorway And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. There's something you may not catch. I didn't for many years in this passage of Scripture. And that is the use of of hyssop. Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it in the blood of the basin. Nowhere in anywhere, any part of the Old Testament is hyssop connected as an integral part of the blood. There's a reason for that. Hyssop is considered in this culture to be something of extreme humility. It is not considered to be something important. Moses directs the people to take hyssop not other things that could have been used very easily and perhaps even better. He tells them to humble their heart and take this unimportant hyssop and place the blood on the doorframe, on the mantle or the lentil, that the Lord, when he comes, he will Extend his wing of protection over the house. Literally, it is the humbling of every child of Israel to use the hyssop. The proud are not going to go out of Egypt. They're going humbly out of Egypt. And now, on top of all of that, the Lord tells them to go and ask the Egyptians for garments, for clothing. They've been slaves. They have not had good clothing. They haven't had warm jackets for the desert. They haven't had gold and silver. And now they're told, go ask the Egyptians and plunder them. Well, on one side, we have the humility of the children of Israel as they have to come and ask. We have the humility of the children of Israel, as they are told by Moses, use something unimportant to put the blood. The importance is not what you use. The importance is not you. The importance is the blood. And when Jesus comes to your house, he's not going to see you, and he's not going to see your house. He's going to see his blood. The blood is what is important, not you. It takes a humble man to acknowledge that. It takes a humble woman who will no longer take offense when spoken to in a, in a way that is seemingly disrespectful to her or to him. A humble person no longer demands respect. A humble person is there to serve and obey So now they go to the Egyptians. The other side of that coin is that as the long weeks of plagues, perhaps into months of plagues, have stricken the land of Egypt and almost totally destroyed it, destroyed the infrastructure. As the plagues of God have come, their estimation of Moses and the children of Israel has gone higher and higher, and now the slave drivers look with fear at the children of Israel because they have the power. Not the slave drivers. Pharaoh is being put down, and all the gods of Egypt are being scorned by the God of Israel. So now when the children of Israel come and ask them for gold and silver... They quickly give them what they've asked for. They're terrified of these Israelites. They give them their garments of of finest cotton, Egyptian cotton. They give them garments of linen. They give them the animal skins they ask for. They give them the warm jackets. They give them whatever they ask for. They're terrified not to. So there's no pride on the side of the children of Israel. They have to come with open hands, but the God of heaven has moved and created fear in the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will give whatever's asked. Now comes the deliverance. Please, if you are waiting as I am for the delivering angel of God for the pesak of God for the wing of God to be extended over you to be delivered from whatever bondage has held you to be delivered from the wilderness and used by God for the deliverance of his people If the cry of your heart is for deliverance and you have been in solitude, you've been fasting, you've been praying, the knife of God has cut you to pieces. You have given up trying to be somebody. You've given up the idea that you are somebody. And you have been grafted in to the vine of God. And the nourishment from Jesus flows into your heart. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is easy, it's light. The yoke is light. If you are one of those, then you are ready to be delivered but so long as you think you don't have to use hyssop, that you're entitled to the blood of Jesus, that you're entitled to the respect of others, that you're entitled to be understood and loved and cherished and fond upon. If you think you're still entitled to praise and honor, that you can express freely your wisdom and that all should listen to you, that you are the mouthpiece of God. If you still think that, then there's more discipline needed in your life to humble you before Almighty God. I had a conversation with a a Christian man this morning, a man I've worked long in helping him as he has Come out of Hinduism and entered into the Christian faith. He was on his way to work. He said, Pastor, I just called this morning to ask if you would please pray for me as I go to work. He's in sales. And he said, My heart is filled with gratitude for all that God has done for me. I recognize I can't do the sales. I'll do the calls. I'll do more than I'm asked to do. But there will be no result if God does not move in his power to open the way for me, to give me the words to speak. I am totally dependent upon Jesus for my livelihood. Now there's a man... Who is was quickly being prepared to have all bondage in his life broken. Are you still a hothead? Are you still filled with vinegar? Are you still filled with judgments against others? Have you cut others off? Have you said, I don't like what you're saying and I'm finished with you. You're garbage. Have you said that to someone in your mind or in your heart? Have you made assumptions about them? Have you judged? Then you're not ready yet to be used by God. You still need more discipline from Jesus. Those of us who have been trained up in the school of the Holy Spirit know that God will only use a humble heart, that human flesh cannot do the work of God. I know. There are many pastors of megachurches who look like they are super, super successful. But Jesus said in the book of Matthew that every plant that the Father did not plant would be pulled up and burned in the fire, and many of these men and women who are so filled with themselves in the end will have their church pulled up and cast into the fire. And many who have believed their lies, that they can continue walking in their sin and consider themselves to be saved, will be cast into the fire with them, and there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth. God cannot use a man or a woman who is full of their own opinions, who judges a brother or sister, who is so full of their own righteousness And so certain that they're right, they're wrong. Did you know that's possible? To be so right, you're wrong? It's an attitude issue. My dad, many years ago, used to say to me Raymond, you have a bad attitude. Now go to your bedroom and stay there until your attitude changes. I hadn't done anything except my face showed my arrogance and my anger and my feeling like I was being mistreated by my father, my mother, my brothers. Raymond, go to your room until your attitude changes. And if you don't change your attitude, I'm going to be coming in and I will give you a spanking. He called it a whipping. And that will change your attitude. It did change my attitude very quickly. But some of us have had great time in solitude. Great time in solitude because there's nothing like solitude to change a man or woman's heart. There's nothing like time out to wake a person up. So the children of Israel take the hyssop; they place it on their on their doorframe, and we read in verse twenty-nine: At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all of Egypt got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you've said. Go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave. They said, otherwise, we will all die. So the people, they took their dough before the yeast was added and they carried it on their shoulders in kneading trowels wrapped in claws. Now the Israelites plundered the Egyptians, and the scriptures say the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, were probably looking at over a million people streaming out of Egypt into the desert. Egyptians also went with them. People of other nationalities went with them, and they all took large droves of livestock, flocks, and of herds. They had their bread to eat, the dough without yeast, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. They'd been too busy preparing the Passover lamb and the Passover meal of bitter herbs. They were run out. They left. They left their their slave drivers with their whips. They left their hovels. They left their way of life. They left behind them a culture. They left Egypt. Now God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was far shorter to go that way to the promised land. The Lord said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. They were armed for battle, but they were not ready to fight. Why? Because they still had Egypt in them. And God was going to try to humble this people in the desert to see if they would obey him, if they would believe in him. Now, as they left Egypt... They were blessed. The Lord went ahead of them in a huge pillar of cloud, offering them shade from the hot sun in the desert. Also, they followed this cloud because it guided them on their way by night. It was a pillar of fire that would give light to the whole camp so they could travel by day or by night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. They could see the actual visible presence of Almighty God with them. If you're going to be used by God, you're going to have to see the Shekinah glory of God in your spirit and perhaps even with your physical eyes. the children of Israel could see the Shekinah glory of God. But now he had to entrap them in the wilderness lest they leave and try to go back another way. What a fabulous story of deliverance. So I ask you today, What deliverance do you need? Is your heart humble before God? Do you still think you can make things happen? Do you still think you can change your husband or change your wife? Do you still nitpick at them? Do you still treat your children as though they were not human? jerking them, screaming at them, yelling at them? Or do you discipline in a godly manner, knowing that they are gifts from the Lord Jesus himself? Are you angry at somebody? Do you carry a residue of anger in your spirit that flares up when anybody dares to cross you, when somebody cuts you off when you're driving or somebody cuts you off when they're spe- when you're speaking and trying to share something and they cut you off, when somebody confronts you about something you've done, imagined or real, is your response defensive? For so many years, I had a standard defense. It was so destructive. It's caused me such grief in my heart people would come and identify something that they thought I had done wrong. And I would turn it and make it something that they had done wrong. So I put the guilt onus back on them instead of taking responsibility, listening to what they said and taking it before the Lord to determine if it was true or false. And if it was true, repenting of it and humbling my heart with them. I have often been extremely defensive in my life, threatened by the judgment of others, threatened by the criticism of others. The Lord has so grieved my heart over that wickedness in my, in my life. that I've asked the Lord to totally remove all defensiveness from me. Somebody just recently came at me with very strong accusations, assumptions. I had to be very cautious before I answered. I finally responded. But I said, Lord, don't let me in any way bite this person. Let me only demonstrate love and courtesy. I don't need to be angry with them. They are speaking out of their own pain. I remember when I was just a boy, we had a a schoolhouse And the schoolhouse had a flat roof on it. And my dad, the head elder of the church, had taken it upon himself to care for the physical facility and and asking also deacons to come and help him. He would not ask someone to do that he was to do something he was unwilling to do, and so On this day, we had agreed we would go to the school and we would spread tar over the roof and then add gravel to the tar. So I came to go work with my dad wearing a good pair of jeans and a good shirt, a sports shirt. And Daddy said, no, Ray, go put on those old ragged jeans. Why, Daddy? Because you're going to get tar all over your pants. I said, Daddy, I will be very careful. I will not get tar anywhere on my clothes. He said, Raymond, you cannot go if you don't go change your clothes. I went quickly and changed my clothes since it was important that I be able to go and work with my dad. He was, for me, very much a hero. So we went and we climbed the ladder with Dad and some other men carrying up these heavy buckets of tar. It was a hot, sunny day. And we had, we had, what would I call them, brooms with bristles. And they would pour out the tar and then we would push it with our brooms to spread it evenly over the roof. I don't know how it happened, but somehow I got tar on my hand, and I, without even thinking, wiped it on my pants. By the time I was done with that job, I looked like a tar baby. I had tar on my face. I had tar on my pants, my hands, my arms. I was covered with tar. And Dad laughingly said to me, Raymond, I thought you weren't going to get any tar on your pants. When you get home, Mama's going to say throw those pants out because she's not going to clean that tar out of it. Which is what I did. My point? You cannot engage in war with another person without getting their tar all over you. That's why the scriptures say a soft answer turns away wrath. Not a biting answer. So I ask you, does your wolf nature rule in your heart and in your family? Unconscious, just speaking words of judgment, accusation? Or is your heart quiet before injustice? Is your heart quiet before unjust accusations? I have learned much by Suffering at the hand of other people. At being cut off from friends and family. It's taught me humility. Now I'm still a long way from where I need to be. But I'm determined to grow to be like Jesus when accused, did not respond. When being condemned, did not return the insult. It's a vital if we're going to be used by God. So God leads them out, Leads them out of Egypt, but still full of Egypt, armed for battle, but not ready to fight. And that day the Lord goes before them. So, how is it today with you, brother, sister? Are you ready? for God to use you. If you answer that question, oh yes, I'm ready, it's evident that you're not ready. Can I just be that honest with you? I know I'm not ready for God to use me yet. There's still so much self, flesh, in my attitudes, in my responses to people. I don't think I'm known for humility. I want to be known by God as a humble man, and if you if you look in the book of hebrews i'm going to look at two passages very quickly with you the first is in in romans i hadn't planned on going there but, but let's go there Romans, the twelfth chapter. I summon you, therefore, brethren, sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not conform yourselves with this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and well-pleasing perfect will of God. That only happens as we give ourselves up and present ourselves before God and before our brothers and sisters as a as a living sacrifice on the altar of burnt offering. And then, over here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, so then we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, having already taken off and laid aside every conceivable weight and easily ensnaring sin, We have a great cloud of witnesses Moses, the prophets. I have my mother and my father, my late wife, my father in the faith, David Wilkerson, Ray Brigham. A great cloud of witnesses. and I'm to take off, I'm to lay aside every weight, every possible weight, Five minutes. and every easily ensnaring sin. And through endurance, may we run the race being set before us, looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy being set before him endured a cross. Having disregarded shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That was one from the Lavender translation. If I have time, let me quickly go and read this to you from the NIV, from the 12th chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That is the sin that stands around us, dancing around us, saying, Choose me, choose me. And we say, No, you're not on my team anymore. You're not on my, you're not on my team. It says, let us thaw off everything that hinders. That's everything your arms are around that weigh you down. It means all judgment and condemnation of a brother or sister, a fellow pastor, someone in the church, someone in your family who treats you in a way or you think is wrong, he says do not grow weary that is don't relax don't let it don't let your guard down don't lose heart in your struggle against sin you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood my son do not make light of the lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes or scourges, he flogs, even those he accepts as sons. Well, we're out of time for today. I want to thank each one of you for listening. I pray this has been helpful. Lord, I ask that you would bring to us whatever judgments are necessary, whatever piercings are necessary. Lord, bring to us what will humble our hearts. I pray in your name. Amen. You're welcome to write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. How much time do we have left, Mr. Producer? 22 seconds. Good, we have 22 seconds left. Do you have the closing music? Yes, I do. Good. I hope that as you listen to this broadcast and others that you will step forward and you'll help us with the cost of August. We're facing the reality that we can't pay, but Jesus can. Would you share in that? God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.